Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, June 23rd, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 to 8. The kings, the shepherds of Judah, have proven themselves to be faithless towards God's people. But the Lord will gather his people as his own. He will raise up a righteous branch from the line of David to execute justice and righteousness in the land. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor John Busman. Pastor Busman serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Cullman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's great to uh, to be with y'all this morning. Pastor Busman, you have gotten one of the clearest gospel passages in the book of Jeremiah, much to the envy of, of your brothers who have been guests prior to you. There's been a lot of a lot of law in the book of Jeremiah. We come to one of those very clear gospel proclamations within the book. What has Jeremiah been doing during the first part of his book in his ministry that really is going to, to set up the clear gospel proclamation that we're going to hear today? Thanks uh, again. And, uh, and I do very, very much appreciate this text here in Jeremiah, uh, because it's like you said, it's not not that typical of uh, of what we find with um, you know, of course, judgment for Israel, and then uh, and then judgment for Judah. Basically, w- what had happened to uh, the northern kingdom with when the Assyrian exile in, in 722 BC is going to take place. For the southern kingdom, for for Judah, uh, at the hands of of Babylon. So you have a lot of uh, of judgment, uh, not only because of these shepherd kings not doing what they had been called to do, but also very simply because of the people's unrepentant uh, idolatry. Right, and as Jeremiah is proclaiming this law to them, their reaction is, of course not to repent at all their reaction is to is to turn and and want to kill Jeremiah with the sword even as he goes uh back into his own hometown of uh, of Anathoth uh he prophesies to them and um, and that doesn't go that doesn't go so well for 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 Jeremiah but he he remains he remains faithful in what he is has been called to do by by God yeah, he, he certainly is the faithful prophet, even when that leads him to be the weeping prophet and, and the persecuted prophet. He remains faithful in proclaiming the truth. He's been proclaiming the truth concerning the line of David and several kings in the previous context. Jeremiah is not always strictly chronological in the way that, that he is arranged. But I think we're going to see a little bit of uh, this is going to make sense to us today. At least it, it has for me as I've been reflecting on these on these words that we've got today in the way that Jeremiah has arranged the order of the kings that he's been talking about and the way that he's been doing it. And I think he's I think we're going to see how in the text today it's really going to point us even more clearly to Jesus. It, it really seems that he's he's been setting up the the kings of, of Judah as failures, as those who have not done what the Lord 
has desired them to do in order to proclaim to us Jesus as the one who will and who does do precisely what the Lord desires the kings to do. And so we're going to continue to see that, that contrast in today's text between those shepherds, those kings who are not acting according to the Lord's word, and then how the Lord will raise up for David this righteous branch who will. That just before we dig into this text, Pastor Busman, I, I said earlier, this is one of the, the more well-known passages in the book of Jeremiah. Where do we usually encounter this passage in the life of the church, and why does it show up there? Uh, uh, yeah, great question. This uh, Old Testament text shows up on the first uh, Sunday in Advent. So we kick off the church here uh, uh, with with this this very text, and it's it's so uh, so great to hear. You know, of course, coming off of the off of the end of the church here, uh, with uh, with wise and foolish virgins and, and all of this, but but there is there's this hope that we see uh, in the darkness of the world, not only the darkness of Jeremiah's world, but but our own world. Yet this king, this this uh, righteous king, is. Is coming to us. So as we as we encounter it uh, there in the first Sunday of Advent, it's it's full of hope. And especially as we you know dig into the the greater context of Jeremiah's life. I mean he he comes in as a prophet during Josiah's reign. It's like this is a perfect you know Josiah is the last of the righteous kings, and and what a great time to be alive, so to speak. And then after that, it's just it's it's absolute chaos, and, and it only takes. It only takes what five years after Josiah's death before before Babylon shows up for the first time. So it's quick. It's quick after that. Uh, but but it's you know, it should be a warning to all as as uh, uh, people turn to uh, to idolatry. Well, and, and in that context of Jos- having seen Josiah be that righteous king, and and many of the people of Judah probably not realizing how good they had it with Josiah. And then, as you said, that very quick fall afterwards with just the, the quick succession of these four kings who, who are all evil and, and don't reign righteously, to have a, a promise like this from Jeremiah in that context that you know there will come this righteous king in the line of David had to bring great comfort. And then to, to pair that with, as you said, the first Sunday in Advent. So that, I guess this gets paired then with the, the gospel reading uh, from Paul from Palm Sunday, right? Which I think helps to, to even further enlighten the context. That's right. This, the, the coming King, you know, this, this, this King, this son of David is, is, is finally here uh, coming to us. So uh, in Jesus, and and that's where, that's where this text really, really uh, gets colored in by, by what Jesus is doing. And especially as we, uh, as we get toward the end of the text as well. Well, let's go ahead and begin into the text then. This is Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning at verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. I'll pause there. That was through verse 4. 
Pastor Busman, the woe to the shepherds is how this passage begins. Uh, when, when Jeremiah talks about shepherds, uh, we hear that word in English and we think of people who take care of sheep. Uh, what does Jeremiah have in mind when he's talking about shepherds? So, you know, sh- uh, shepherds, it's one of the most common images that we encounter as Christians, uh, especially in our country, Jesus as the good shepherd and you know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and so it's one of those images that, that we know, but of course an image that, that we can always learn more from. Jeremiah is actually the, the text, his book, that, that uses this image the most of all in the Old Testament. But he, he uses this language uh, specifically to describe the kings uh, of the day. We've seen it uh, as... You know, something to describe the priests or servants of the word, just kind of a better, uh, a better use there. But, but specifically the kings, he does it all over the place. Chapter three, chapter 10, uh, 12, 20, all over, all over his book, uh, to, to do this. Now, the very first time we kind of see this language being used in the scriptures actually goes back to to Numbers chapter 27 with Joshua, as, as God is, is telling Moses that he's going to raise up this, this next person, and he, he's going to lead the people uh, like a shepherd. Uh, and then in 2 Samuel, uh, God speaks about the judges leading the people like they were shepherds. And then finally, once a king is anointed, right? Saul was the first king. Second Samuel chapter 5, that language is used with Saul and then ultimately with David. So the language connecting the king, especially moving into David, as being a shepherd of God's people. And of course, there's kind of the multiple meaning there with David, because I mean, David was literally a shepherd before uh, God uh, before he he was anointed as king, but uh, so it's not just out in the field with literal sheep. It's it's a it's a connection that the scriptures has used before with those who lead God's people, and then ultimately with with the kings who are leading God's people. Right, David being a shepherd himself, like adds to it. Moses, of course, was a shepherd. Although I don't think that that term and gets used. I don't. You didn't mention Moses as one who specifically called a shepherd of God's people, but he does shepherd his father-in-law's flocks prior right. to his his call. So I mean, there's there's that connection throughout. Right, and it's in, and it's interesting that Moses is not described in that in that way. That it's Joshua who who's right who's first because you would think that you know Moses has deep Davidic connection as well, being a shepherd and then, I mean, literally leading God's people, but that he's not specifically called a, a shepherd there in Exodus or Numbers anywhere. Well, in terms of the, 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 the image of shepherd, you've already said that the leading is a big part of it, that shepherds lead their sheep. These shepherds of God's people are to lead God's people. What are some of the other points of comparison that we should make between a shepherd and what God intends for the leaders of his people? Another another really really good question, and I'll lean on uh, a text that that all of the listeners probably know is the twenty third uh, the twenty third Psalm. And the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me 
to lie down in green pastures. Uh, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's going to be huge for our text. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he, he leads me, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, uh, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we have kind of the dual nature of, of what they're what they're to do. They're to to care for the people, to seek them out when they go when they uh, go astray using the, the staff, but also to uh, to uh, get rid of the the enemies who are there. Right, the the rod has has a use, uh, and and to feed them, right, to feed them on the word, prepare a table before me in the in the presence of of my enemies. So overall care of the sheep, not only to give them green pasture in order to rest and to feed, but also to be there to uh, to keep the enemies at bay. And what we see, Ezekiel will use this language too in, in chapter 34, and that's probably the, the best overall image of these shepherds and their unfaithfulness because they they weren't feeding the sheep. They were abusing them. Uh, and uh, so... Basically, in all of their duties, they were they were failing. They were only taking care of themselves, namely these kings. So the sheep were going hungry, and they were being taken advantage of, you know, ultimately by the enemies. And the enemies in Jeremiah's book are false prophets, right? False prophets galore all over the book. A couple of them will be named after our text, but th- this should not be. Right, God's anointed king is to stand up against these enemies for the sake of the people. And none of them were doing their job. Uh, Jeremiah, of course, a, a faithful prophet, a faithful shepherd from that perspective, is, is doing his job. But the sheep, uh, unfortunately, the sheep decide to bite and, and, and treat Jeremiah harshly. Yeah, I mean, the way Jeremiah phrases the the things that you're talking about in terms of, you, you very well said what the scriptures give us in terms of the positive image of the shepherd. The shepherds that Jeremiah is talking about here are doing the exact opposite. And Jeremiah uses language like destroying and scattering the sheep. So they're, they're actively abusing the sheep. And then in verse two, they're not attending to the sheep. They're, they're neglecting the sheep. So you've got both things going on. Again, Pastor Busman, this this language of destroying, scattering, not attending to the sheep, th- these are pretty serious charges that Jeremiah is laying at the feet of these shepherds. Absolutely. And and if we, again, look at the scriptures, this is not something that's, that's simply to be overlooked or it's, well, okay, that, that, that shepherd just wasn't, you know, he, he may not have been a, a good shepherd, a great shepherd, but he, he was at least... Okay, these are these are specifically in line with the works of the devil. And we've just heard a couple of texts on on Sunday mornings with the, the lost sheep. We we heard Luke fifteen and and how you know you leave the ninety nine and, and go search for the one, but also from uh, from from First Peter, right? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking uh, who he will he will devour, and that's what. That's ultimately what the devil does. The devil seeks to scatter uh, so that he may seek the destruction of of the sheep. So, again, I, I don't think we need to uh, 
underestimate the seriousness of of this charge against the very king. I mean, these are the sons of David, right? These are the anointed kings through whom the line of the Messiah, uh, through whom the Messiah would come. But they are they are completely in league with with the devil at this point. As you're talking there, Pastor Busman, I was reminded of the John chapter 10, that where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And I think you make an excellent point in connecting these shepherds of Jeremiah 23 with the devil, because they're in, in John 10, when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he, he sets himself in contrast to not only the hired hand, who just simply doesn't care, but also to the wolf. And the wolf is the one who, who's, who comes and tries to snatch the sheep and scatter the sheep. And so when we when you when you set that text here with with Jeremiah chapter twenty three, you really see just how serious this is of what these kings of Judah are doing. They're not just simply neglecting the sheep, not just sort of being passive, but they're actually actively hurting the sheep. They they are allying themselves with the devil and his work. And I think that's an important thing to see, so that we don't like like you said, you know, it's oh it's not too bad. You know, they're they're, they're trying hard. Jeremiah doesn't give them that out. These shepherds have allied themselves with the work of the devil. And for that reason, he pronounces that God is going to come and and judge them. I think there's a bit of a a wordplay that is actually captured in English. It's there in the Hebrew too, in verse two, as to what the shepherds have done and then how the Lord is going to treat them in response. Exactly. Uh, You know, you have this, this therefore, so you kind of wait for, you wait to see if this is going to be a positive or a negative, therefore. But of course, as we read the text, we know that that God doesn't stand idly by as as His people are being abused. And I know that that may some of your listeners out there, and and even even pastors, you know, can feel like, hey, where's God? Where's God? What's He up to? Does He not know my suffering? Does He not know our suffering? But but this is this is hope for us that God does not remain silent according to uh, to this evil. They have not attended to the sheep, therefore I will attend to you, right? And and you've said you know the John ten connection where and and Ezekiel thirty four also where you know these these shepherds were unfaithful. So God says, behold, I I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. So God is the shepherd. Uh, and unfortunately, these old shepherds, unfortunately for them, the old shepherds are actually the enemy, and the good shepherd will will handle them accordingly. He will not let them go on uh, abusing the people through a lack of faithfulness to the word, through a lack of feeding, whatever the case may be. Evil will not go unpunished, and and, and God is the one who's going to handle that, for the sake of his sheep. So we have that that proclamation of judgment at the end of verse 2. I will attend to you. You didn't attend to the sheep, but I will attend to you, dear evil shepherds. And then the, the positive side, the, the salvation that will come, it goes hand in hand with the judgment against the evil shepherds comes the salvation for God's people, for his flock. So in verse 3, he, he talks about gathering the remnant and I think this is this is probably worth talking about too. He says, "I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them." Notice that the the Lord also says, "I drove them there." Perhaps a reminder that, as you've said, these sheep certainly abused by their leaders, but 
they were responsible for their hearing without faith, for their lack of repentance as well. And so, you know, the Lord reminds them, I drove you there. I, I sent you there because of your faithlessness. But here's the promise. I will bring you back. Exactly. And and that's what we need not leave, leave out from all of this are Jeremiah's condemnations of the people themselves, because they were listening to to these to these faithless shepherds there and you can you know come up with the list not only from Jeremiah but from Isaiah and all the the minor prophets how you know they aren't of course honor were honoring God with their lips but their hearts were far from him they were not taking care of the the weakest of the land they were not uh, taking care of the poor the widow the orphan they were trampling them underfoot so the people are certainly not innocent here yet I love I love this language because this is this text is going on. We, we have kind of a, a, a date cue in chapter twenty-five where it talks about this this being around uh, six hundred five BC, which is again the first time Babylon shows up. But I, I love how God, in His faithfulness, will provide a promise. All right, he's he's providing a promise of return before they're ever even gone. You know, I mean, he does this in Isaiah too. He gives them hope before before there's ever even destruction. Look, this is going to happen to you, but I'm going to gather you again. Now, namely, it's only going to be a remnant, right? Isaiah's big with this remnant as well. It's only going to be a remnant, but I'm coming for you. I'm going to gather you back into your fold and and there you shall be fruitful and multiply. So you have this kind of restoration with uh, with being fruitful and multiply, this, this restoration as if in Eden, right? This was the, the command to, to Adam and Eve. It was the command right after the flood. So you have destruction in the flood, but the command, the original command is, is there once more. Right, yeah, that that new creation language is is there at the end of verse three, and and particularly I like the connection you make with Noah because you do have that same destruction yet remnant salvation, and and the similar thing happening here in the the days of Jeremiah with the kingdom of Judah. In in verse four, the Lord also promises that He will set shepherds over them. He said, "I'm going to gather you," but He also does promises promise shepherds who truly will care for the people and and will give them this this life without fear or dismay they'll all be there that what's what's the picture what does the lord have in mind there in verse four we we only get a uh, a small glimpse of this as the old testament comes to a close these these faithful shepherds who uh, who will care for them we see these faithful shepherds in uh, ezra and and Nehemiah, as as the temple is rebuilt and as the walls are are constructed, you uh, you see it with several others through you know in Ezra and Nehemiah's book. But then the Old Testament, of course, comes to a close. So you've got to do some some historical digging uh, in 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 uh, the uh, the Apocrypha and some other books to kind of get a sense of what's going on there in that intertestamental period. And I'll tell you. Good shepherds are few and far between in those 400 years, and, and it's really, really a dark time for God's people. But every now and then, uh, somebody faithful will stand up to the to the evil of the day, and all for the sake of, of God's people. So I would 
you know, even though it's not scriptural, I would I would suggest reading reading books like First and Second Maccabees just to kind of get a glimpse into this little bit of history where where God's people were were cared for by a good and a faithful shepherd. Do you think in verse four there's a there's a picture or there's some at least a application we can make to the office of the ministry that our Lord provides in His church today? Absolutely. As we as we ultimately push forward and see Jesus being that that good shepherd, uh, I, I love this image in the upper room as Jesus goes to his uh, apostles and he breathes on them and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit," and he sends them. Right. So the the good shepherd is, I mean, sending more shepherds to to in turn care for his sheep, and of course that's. That goes on down the line, even to us, and and that's part of the, the reason that I really, really like this text in, in Jeremiah, uh, because you know, I guess out of all the out of all the the judgments upon the shepherds, right? It does show the flip side of of the text that there will be good and faithful shepherds. So it's a it's kind of a warning to us as pastors when we push the image to. To, to the office of the ministry, but we do see that, that God has his hand. He's not just sending pastors, shepherds out kind of to do their own thing. It's really when they go out and do their own thing that, that, that bad things start to happen. But we are you know, under the, under the reign and the rule of the good shepherd, so to speak, and, and we are to, to treat the sheep accordingly. Yeah, I think that's that's a well well said that you know it's when when a pastor would go and do his own thing and act on his own authority that's when you get the the first part of this text and that's when the the pastor starts to scatter and destroy and not attend to the sheep and the warning needs to be spoken and and we need to hear that as pastors but when we recall who the one is who sent us and this is going to be important for Jeremiah especially as this chapter will continue into tomorrow's text you know that the Lord is the one who sends his shepherds, and when you speak his word faithfully, then there is great comfort. And and to see how the Lord is the one who gathers his sheep and sets his shepherds to, to remember the, the call of God for the pastor, that's such a, a key thing, and, and ultimately be, does provide comfort both for the pastor and the hearer, that the Lord is the good shepherd taking care of his sheep. And that's what we're seeing here in Jeremiah chapter 23, but we need to take a short break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO, looking at Jeremiah chapter 23 with Pastor John Busman. We will be right back. Please stick around. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis at 8.15 and Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Chesterfield at 10.30, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 9.30. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Wednesday's Bible study on law and gospel 
analyzes a passage from scripture emphasizing the benefits of believing Jesus Christ and your victory over sin, death, and the devil. We encourage listeners of Law and Gospel to join this Bible study at 9.30 a.m. Central Time each Wednesday. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. An old man blind to his own bitterness. I will never forgive her. A young girl blind to her own identity. There are people who want to hurt me. Together, they find a treasure, the hidden hand. I will take the girl. Get rid of Capitola once and for all. Starring Katie Lee as Capitola. <laughs> Discover the hidden hand on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, June 23rd. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 to 8 with Pastor John Busman of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Cullman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, prior to the break, we looked at the first four verses. The Lord speaks woe to those shepherds, to those kings and leaders who are destroying his sheep. He promises that he will gather them back and set faithful shepherds over them. And then the text continues with a fantastic promise. This is the, the primary Advent promise that we were talking about at the beginning, the very familiar words concerning the righteous branch from David. So we continue with the text, Jeremiah 23, now at verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Jeremiah 23, verses five to eight. So Pastor Busman, uh, there's so much we can talk about here. The days are coming, the Lord says. He's going to raise up for David a righteous branch. Uh, let's let's start with, with David. David is brought to bear here. We've, we've heard a lot about some of the other faithless kings, and, and here's a reminder of, of David. Why the callback to David? David was, you know, of course, the faithful king after after Saul, where you know, God says, "Look, do not look on his appearance. God does not look on the appearance of a man, but but upon his heart." And as we see the sons of David, namely after after Solomon, we see a, a mixture of righteousness and and evil. Uh, some follow after the ways of the world, and and others follow after the the, the heart of their father David. So we see faithful. Shepherds like uh, Asa and Yehoshaphat, and then, uh, you know, as we get near and around the northern kingdom's exile, we do see kind of a stretch of of righteousness there. Uh, probably the the most well known of these, if uh, for students of the Old Testament, would be Hezekiah, who was, you know. Very, a very, very, very good king. Uh, of course, that, quite a dynamic duo with Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. But really, after Hezekiah, 
Uh, Hezekiah's son Manasseh reigned for 55 years and completely did evil. You know, I, I often tell my people, imagine, imagine if there was somebody reigning over you for 55 years, and all the people knew for 55 years was evil. That they didn't know any better. They knew nothing of the Passover, nothing of the Exodus, and that was kind of the reign of terror under Manasseh. And then, of course, you know, shortly after that, Josiah comes along, and Josiah reforms everything to to righteousness. Right? He reforms uh, and, and kind of re. Uh, builds the temple that had been kind of not not completely destroyed, but uh, but certainly evil deeds had been done in there. So things start to look up with Josiah, and that's really where Jeremiah's prophecy begins. But but after Josiah, things just really fall really fall off, and and of course lead to the exile. But I guess the point is is they get these these glimpses of David throughout his sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, etc., but none quite like David, right? There's still this promise from 2 Samuel 7 that needs to be fulfilled, this promise of of this, ultimately, the, the Messiah who's coming from the line of David, and none, not even, not even righteous Hezekiah or righteous Josiah, could fill that role. So they're still looking and they're still yearning for these days. Uh, but a long history, faithfulness, unfaithfulness, the, the whole thing. And as we study that history, we really see that nothing has changed according to, to our times either. So going back to David is a reminder of that promise that the Lord had made to David in the first place. And also a reminder that since David, there really hasn't been anyone who's lived up to that promise, that, that there will be this king on his throne forever who will who will be the, the true king, the right king. None of those kings have quite measured up, even the best of them. And and even David himself, I mean, we, we can go through his life and see his sins as well and see how none of them measured up. And so here the Lord gives his people a promise going back to that original promise there in 2 Samuel 7, that from David, the Lord's going to raise up this righteous branch. And, and the word righteous is, is obviously a, a key word. It comes up again in the way that this branch will act. So, I mean, tell us a little about the, the righteousness, but also just the image of the branch. What where, where does that image come from? What's the importance of that? This is another kind of Old Testament image, right? The uh, And what does Jesus use it to, I guess, about the axe, you know, chopping down, right? But there's always this, there's always, you know, hope for, uh, for, for God's people, even when they only, uh, only when they see destruction. And as they'll see their city burn, Jerusalem will be burned to the ground and, and the temple will be too. So when, when they, all they see is hopelessness, as Jeremiah will, there, there is yet, hope that God provides through even a shoot. Isaiah uses the image of a shoot from the stump of Jesse. There there will be... God's promise does not fail. He, he's made his promise, and he's not going to go back on his word. He's going to raise up this, this son of David who will ultimately go on and, and reign faithfully, as you said, in righteousness and in justice. And, and this was... I guess one of the one of the biggest failures of the people during the day is that there was no righteousness and justice in the land. As I've said, they you know they had they had a duty to take care of the poor and the widow and the orphans, and, and they absolutely were not doing this. They were taking care of themselves. They were 
feeding themselves, only taking care of their wealth, their prosperity. Right? They didn't have time to take care of all of those other people. They were a drain on their time and a drain on their resources. So they just set them aside and um, and and you know let them let them meet their their own demise. And and that's that's kind of the way the world worked then, and it still works today. But even when Babylon came in, they wanted nothing to do with these people. They didn't even exile them, right? They just left them in the land. They they saw them as worthless. So they you know these people, none of these people could catch a break. But they're again looking for this faithful shepherd king uh, who would who would come and gather the people, no matter who they were no matter what, what status of honor or shame or, or whatever, would gather them for the sake of, uh, for the sake of God, right? Uh, he, again, Ezekiel 34 stuff here. He's going to do this stuff for the sake of his name, right? His name is on the line because he's the one who made the promise. Yeah, I mean, for the, the people of Judah at this time, the, the faithful ones looking at the line of David, you know, it, certainly it, it had to look pretty dead, almost like that, you know, the image of the stump that Isaiah brings out that, you know, I mean, you, you think about these last kings of Judah after Josiah, how evil they are. What's what's going on with the line of David? Here's a promise that the Lord will bring forth yet from that line, this branch from that seemingly dead stump. Here comes the the branch that will be what the Lord intends, who will rule faithfully. And, and the way that Jeremiah describes this, this righteous branch, is that he's going to reign as king, he'll deal wisely, he'll execute justice and righteousness in the land. What, what's being said about the reign of this king with those various descriptors? Exactly the thing that, that we've been talking about, shepherds, right? Evil, evil will not go unpunished. Right? The, the justice of God goes, goes both ways. It's, it's grace for those for those in Christ, so to speak, yet for the enemies that they do not go unpunished. Uh, we we see this warning constantly from our Lord Jesus that, you know, especially say in parables where, you know those those who do evil are cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and and gnashing of teeth. And again, evil will not be tolerated because, I mean, a wolf is a wolf, a lion is a lion, and <laughs> the, you know, the shepherd doesn't say to the wolf, okay, well, you, you just be a good wolf now. I'll let you stay, but you, you be good. Like, no, we know what the wolf is going to do. So the good and faithful shepherd expels the wolf from, uh, from the fold for the sake of the sheep. That's what makes him good. And this righteous branch from David will will do that. He will execute that justice, that righteousness in the land, which I mean, those those two terms, we've seen those in the previous chapters of how important they were for the king in the job description. And then for the Lord, this is who the Lord is. He is the one who executes justice and righteousness. And this righteous branch from the line of David He's going to do that perfectly in his reign as king. And and then you get, so this is who the king is. This is how he's going to act. And then in verse six, you begin to see what effects this is going to have. And among those effects are that in his days, you've got Judah being saved and also Israel dwelling securely. I think you said at the very beginning, Pastor Busman, that we've got in the, in the background here, Israel has gone into exile already for quite some time. The northern kingdom was exiled by Assyria in 722, 721 BC. And now Judah is on the cusp of that. Here we have a promise that under this righteous branch from David, both of them are going to see restoration. 
Absolutely. And, and what a huge thing to say, too, because we never really see after the northern kingdom is exiled, the Assyrians put their own people in the land, right? Babylon doesn't do this. Assyria did this. And as a result, there's kind of a, a, a mixture of, of the people. This is where your Samaritans come from. But we never actually see a return of the people of the northern kingdom. They basically stay scattered. So to, you know, we see the return from the southern kingdom at the hands of Cyrus the Persian uh, in, in 539, 538 BC, but we never see that return from, from the north. That was still yet to be done. So as, as, as people start coming back, so to speak, when Jesus is in his ministry and to see, say, in Acts chapter 2, when all of these people are gathered and to see kind of where they're gathered from, you're, you're thinking, oh, man, this is, this is where the northern kingdom was exiled to. And, and you can really finally see this gathering around the good and faithful shepherd, uh, Jesus. But it's a restoration for both Judah and Israel, uh, a united kingdom once again. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. And that's what that's really what these promises are driving to. But that's a that's a big task. That's not something that's just easily read over because the, the people, again, exiled in 722, more than 100 years before this. I mean, they were gone. They were scattered uh, as, as much as you could have been scattered in those days. Yeah, I mean, that, that promise particularly, I think, points us to the fact that, that this text is fulfilled in, in Jesus. There's, there's just not going to be anybody else who fits this bill. And, and if there was any doubt about that, it's this, this name that is given at the end of verse 6 that really seals the deal, that, that we have to be talking about Jesus here as the one who's going to do these things. The, the name that he's given in Jeremiah 23 is, the Lord is our righteousness. Tell us about the importance of that name, Pastor Busman. So, right, we have his name uh, in Hebrew, Yahweh Tzidkenu, and again, extremely significant to our time. And you mentioned earlier where kind of a wordplay, a Hebrew wordplay was actually captured in Hebrew, and it's, it's quite rare when, when English will do this, unfortunately, but that, that's kind of the limitations of, of language and translation. And here is where one is, is lost on us, but I don't want to lose it this morning. Yahweh Tidkenu. So if we look at the line of the kings after Josiah, you have, uh, his, his, you have his son who only reigned for three months, and, and then another son who reigned for 11 years. And this is really when this text is, is going on, Jehoiakim. And then after that, you have another three-month reign of uh, Jehoiachin before we get to the last king of the southern kingdom before the temple is destroyed. And his name is Zedekiah. And you have to wonder here for, for a minute, when you have this great hope about this, this shepherd king who's going to deal wisely and bring justice and righteousness. And, and the text says this is his name. His name is going to be Yahweh Sidkenu. And if we kind of shorten that into a name, you actually get Zedekiah. So here you have the name Zedekiah coming as a king. And, and you, have to, you have to wonder if the people are, 
are hopeful at this coming king. You know, I mean, the prophecy was only eight years old at this point. Here he is. Here's this guy who's going to reign in justice and in righteousness for the sake of the people. But he was everything but uh, Yahweh Sid Kenu. He was he 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 did not live up to his name at all. Uh, he led the people down the same path they were going, the path to destruction. Uh, just a not a good guy, so to speak. So again, even if the people had had seen any bit of hope at all, it was it was crushed here at the end. But again, that doesn't mean that God did not live up to his promise. It simply means that his promise was not yet fulfilled, that there was going to be a a new and a greater Zedekiah, uh, a greater Zedekiah who is faithful, who leads in justice and righteousness, who's the complete opposite of what the one who reigned in 597 to the end uh, was. He, he's going to be faithful. He's going to do what uh, what God would have him do, even better than all of that. He's going to be God himself who's going to see, search out his, his sheep and seek them out. So this this wordplay on Zedekiah, I think, is really important. And I, I think, I and this is, I mentioned this toward the beginning, I think this is where Jeremiah and the way that the book is structured and sometimes kind of out of order, at least chronologically, as, as we might put it in, you know, our Western minds, I think it actually helps us here. So, so Pastor Busman, if you'll indulge me, just the, the way that I, this is how my mind was working with this. And, and it, it started with you know, yesterday's text. We heard Jeremiah preach against the, the three kings who came right before Zedekiah. So we had Shalom, or also known as Jehoaz. We had Jehoiakim. And then we had Kaniah or Jeconiah or Jehoiachin. They they go by multiple names, as, as you know. Right. Makes it those hard. are the three. Yeah. So those are the the three kings who come right before Zedekiah. And and you're and here you're thinking, okay, well, Jeremiah, what do you have to say about Zedekiah? And he, he doesn't mention him here in, in verse twenty three. What what? But he did. He did talk about Zedekiah back in chapter twenty one. In chapter twenty one, you get something. I mean, again, it seems kind of out of order. Zedekiah being the last king. Jeremiah's talking to him back in chapter 21. So there's, there's kind of this, uh, this sort of strange progression. You have Zedekiah in 21, then some, some words about kings in general in the bridge between 21 and 22. Then you, you know, go backward in time to get those three kings, Shalom, Jehoiakim, and Kaniah. And then you're thinking, okay, well, well what about Zedekiah? And now Jeremiah's not going to give you Zedekiah again because he's already given you Zedekiah and he's shown you how Zedekiah is no good. Exactly. What's he going to do instead? He's going to point you past Zedekiah, and he's going to even point you back, you know, past Josiah, past David, past Hezekiah, all those great kings in the line of Israel. He's going to, to point you ultimately to Jesus here. And, and at least as I was kind of reflecting on the way Jeremiah has, has been arranged, and again, the way I wouldn't have, I think in that arrangement, by putting Zedekiah at the front of this and then working his way back until you get to, okay, what about Zedekiah? No, no, Jeremiah says, God's got something far better in mind for you. It's the Lord is our righteousness, Yahweh Tzakenu. I mean, that's, and, and in, in that, I really think that, that this section of Jeremiah is, is serving to, he, Jeremiah says, here's Jesus right here for you. I, I really, I mean, I don't know, it, it kind of, it, it blew my mind a little bit when I started to reflect on it as I was preparing for this conversation. Yeah, and, and you know, the other thing that's important there with these four guys 
and and again, it makes it kind of hard when they all go by different names sometimes. But it's not like it's father, son, and you know, yeah. on down the line, generation after generation. Some of these guys are brothers, and then you have an uncle in there. So it's it's almost like they're they're just kind of this the family is sitting there and they're fighting and they can't get along and they're kind of the same power struggle that went on in the northern kingdom before their exile is going on within the within the very line of David. So they're all just kind of there, you know, waiting in the wings. So it's not hard to to pick them out and pick out what's going on. And Jeremiah is just casting them all to the wind, saying, none of them are any good. None of them, none of them are going to be faithful. God is going to fil- fulfill his promise uh, in, in another. Uh, and, and as we come down the line, we see in himself, in himself, in our Lord Jesus. It, in verses 7 and 8, Pastor Busman, we have some some language that sounds familiar, almost not quite the same, but very close to something Jeremiah promised back in chapter 16. He's He says that days are coming when people won't take an oath according to the Lord being the one who brought his people out of Egypt. Rather, the Lord's going to be known for bringing his people out of the north country. What's the What's the point that's being made here in verses 7 and 8? A greater exodus is coming. Uh, anytime God, when we see all the way back in the Exodus, anytime that God is telling his people who who he is, right? I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who led you out of Egypt with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm. I mean, this is the this is the capital S saving act in the Old Testament. Yet God says something something even more amazing something even more significant uh, is coming when i gather all of my people and 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 was it ever i mean you know ultimately again i mean we can see the we can see the near fulfillment of this in the return from babylon right 70 years later but the ultimate fulfillment is is as as jesus is raised up what does he say when, and when I am raised up, I will draw all people to myself. And, and, and this is what he does as the good and the faithful shepherd. And we don't talk about God you know, with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm. He, he brought his people out of Egypt. We don't really use that language anymore as we speak of God. What do we say? You know, to, to, if we wanted to use the same phrase, we could say, you know, the Lord our God, who by an outstretched hand and a mighty arm saved us upon the cross. And and this is the way we speak of God. This is how he draws all nations to himself by the by the cross of Jesus Christ. I think that when Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke tells us that that he's there talking with Moses and Elijah about his upcoming exodus. I really think that that points us to this same chain that that you've got the the exodus as the event of salvation until it gets surpassed by the return from exile until that gets surpassed and fulfilled ultimately in the, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I like the, the way that you phrased it there, that our, our God with a, a mighty arm and an outstretched hand saved us by dying on the cross. This is the way that we would refer to the Lord. That is what he is known. That's how, how we identify our Savior, not as the one. I mean, not. and again, that's not to say these things are unimportant. The Exodus and the return from exile are certainly key events. But but what do we, how do we identify our God first and foremost? Well, Paul says we preach Christ crucified. And I, I mean, I think that's where this, this progression leads. Exodus, exile, 
Christ crucified. There's the exodus for our salvation. Pastor Busman, we got just about three minutes here on the morning to, to wrap things up, summarize the text for us, help us to, to see how, to, how do we take a text? What, is, what does this text do for us as Christians today? Sure. You know, not, not all is without hope. There, there was certainly uh, injustice and no righteousness going on in the day, and it was being led by these unfaithful shepherd kings. And, and as a result of all of this, we know how the history would play out, right? After Zedekiah, Babylon would show up once again and, and drag the people out uh, of, of the land. They would set the temple on fire, and it would look like all hope was lost. But there would be a, a, a righteous branch who would come. He would be everything that, uh, that Zedekiah wasn't. Right? And as these people sat in, in darkness in Babylon and then you know, 400 years without a prophet or king, uh, the darkness would be broken by this good and faithful shepherd king, the, the true Yahweh Sidkenu, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he would come as that faithful shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, leading in justice and righteousness. We, we see all of the people Jesus goes to were those people who were the, the cast-offs of, of society, the people nobody else wanted anything to do with, yet our Lord Jesus goes to them and, and, and heals them and saves them. He, and he alone, is that good and faithful shepherd king, uh, the son of David, uh, who, who seeks those out who have been lost, wherever they were lost, uh, in order that not one, not a single one of them is, is missing. And, uh, and then as our Lord Jesus comes back to us, Right. This will be the, the ultimate return from exile that is still even our not yet. Right, We have not officially uh, returned from exile. Uh, that very first exile, as, as Adam and Eve were exiled from Eden, uh, so we ultimately, as God's sheep under his, uh, under his leading as shepherd, will return to, to that good, uh, brand-new Garden of Eden, uh, eating eating upon the tree of life uh, forever and ever, um, then I guess at that point, Jeremiah 23 will, will finally and ultimately be fulfilled. Yeah. Then they shall dwell in their own land. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Pastor John Busman is the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 to 8. Pastor Busman, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, thanks so much. Y'all have a great day. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, comments on the series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Use the app and the open mic feature there to send a message to us. Love to hear your comments and your feedback. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.